0: Hello, my name is Amanda Soxted, and today our scripture reading comes from the book of 1 Peter, um, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Um, The title is Respecting People in Authority. For the Lord's sake submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives shall silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the King. Hey Church, I just want to let you know up front that this is actually becoming a two-week message, a two-part message, and so this week will be part one, which includes a lot of setup of our text, and a lot of historical background, and a lot of uh, putting the pieces in place. And then next week, in part two of this message uh, series, I guess, because it's two parts, um, we're going to dive deeper into the text today. So we get to the end of today, and you're like, boy, we hardly touched the text. Um, that's kind of by design, because this is part one setting up the text, and then next week we'll dive more into it. So, just want to let you know that this is part one of a two-part series, so if you're watching part one for the first time, uh, and part two has already been released, make sure you watch part two as well. So let's jump in. Last Sunday, approximately 1,000 people gathered in Brookfield to protest the extension of Governor Evers' Safer at Home order. My high school social studies teacher posted a link to the article on his Facebook page with this comment. He wrote, With all these protesters gathering together amidst social distancing, perhaps natural selection will take its course? (laughs) Question mark? Now, it's interesting because I think he went back and deleted that after the fact because I had a hard time finding it again. I, I couldn't find it when I went back. But I was fascinated by this post and this comment because it was like the public discourse that we see emerging was condensed down into this single post on my English teacher's wall. We've been under this COVID crisis for over a month now, and the first Sunday that we didn't hold worship, get this, was March 15th. That was the first Sunday that we did not hold worship at Mequon Nature Preserve. That's how long ago that was already. We've been under this for a month now, and we're wondering, how are we going to continue to cope with this, with the extension of the Safer at Home Order? We're thinking, how can we do this for another month, all the way until May 26th? And then is it going to get pushed back even more beyond that? We're all asking, what does the future hold? How can we get back to some semblance of normal? We miss our normal lives so dearly. I miss my normal life. How can we get back? That's what we're all asking right now. And as we look to the future and as we hope for some return to normal, I'm seeing the emergence of two camps in our culture. In general, it seems like everyone is lining up in one of two different categories. Now, before I give you these categories, these are my categories. Before I give you these categories, if something in today's message upsets you, or if you find yourself disagreeing in some places with this message, then I'm probably doing my job. In some ways, my goal, maybe you might not call it a goal, but whatever's a little less than a goal, my goal with this message is to make everybody unhappy and dissatisfied. In some ways, if you walk away from the message, not, to- not dissatisfied or not unhappy with something I've said, I-, I feel in some ways like we've missed the mark. The other disclaimer is that I'm about to pick up a broad brush as I begin to paint these two categories. Obviously, there's gradations and differences, and not everything is as cut and dry or black and white as I'm about to lay it out. But on a large scale, this is what I observe. So we are talking with a, with a, at a high level this morning. We are painting with a broad brush. Just give you those disclaimers up front. So the first camp. The first camp is what I am calling the open it up camp. Those in this camp want things opened up yesterday. People in this camp want to go back to normality immediately. Many in this camp believe that locking down in response to COVID-19 was, in hindsight, a dramatic overreaction. Some in this camp might be quietly ignoring the safer at home orders and going about their normal lives as much as they can. The protesters in Brookfield last Sunday fall into the open it up camp. And we might summarize this camp's concern with the word economy. Conversely, the other camp is the lock-it-down camp. Whereas the word economy summarizes the open-it-up camp, the word people summarizes the lock-it-down camp. Those in this camp tend to favor compliance with government's orders to lock down social distance and stay home. This camp pays close attention to the skyrocketing COVID numbers and watches the healthcare workers on the front lines closely. And as a result, those in this camp become all the more committed to staying home and following the government's orders. Those in this camp will often say something like, we love people by not seeing people right now. We love people by distancing ourselves from people. And these camps, as you can imagine, largely break down along political lines. The open-it-up camp tends to be on the political right while the lock-it-down camp tends toward the political left. So the question for the church becomes, as we look ahead and as we continue under this safer-at-home order, what do we do? What do we do in this crisis right now? How do we respond? Sure, we are American citizens, but that comes second. We are citizens of heaven first. So how do we, as citizens of heaven first and America second, respond? Because our response should not be political. Our response should be biblical. And so in the words of my Old Testament Seminary professor, Claude Mariottini, we go to the Bible. (laughs) We go to the Bible. Specifically, we go to 2 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17, and the more I read Peter, the more I fall in love with his writing. Part of it is personal, because recently I became connected to Peter in a personal way. We were at, quick story, we were at City Church of Compton for the Learning Community back in January, and we're in the church, and we're having prayer time, and the City Church of Compton people are praying over us, and this woman was praying over me. And she said something that I just can't get out of my mind. She said, you strike me as someone who opens their mouth before their brain catches up sometimes. You strike me as someone who's like Peter in that way. And as soon as she said that, I thought, yeah, you know, that really fits. (laughs) I do find myself opening up my mouth before my brain catches up sometimes. (laughs) And so I appreciated that. And I've become connected to Peter in a personal way ever since she said that. But me aside, I'm also in love with Peter's writings because the cultural landscape that Peter faced is so similar to the cultural landscape that we face today. The church in 2020 United States is looking more and more like the church in the Roman Empire, 60 AD, when Peter is writing. Two key words that paint a picture of this cultural landscape. First, look at the first verse in 1 Peter, there's a lot of ones. 1 Peter 1, verse 1, 1, 1, 1. He says, to God's elect, I'm going to use the NIV. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And then he lists the provinces. Peter uses this word exiles because he considers the church that he's writing to, to be a group of exiles. To be an exile is to be someone who is in a place that is not your home. It is to be living somewhere that is not your home base. Somewhere that is not your home. The NLT uses the word foreigner. Right away in his writings, Peter acknowledges that the Roman Empire in 60 AD is not the home of the church. Now, not to intentionally quote Carrie Underwood or anything, but the Roman Empire is their temporary home. (laughs) For us, the United States is our temporary home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our true home is the new heavens and the new earth. Just like the church of 60 AD, we are exiles, temporary citizens on our journey to our true home, new creation. Now the second key word is in chapter 5, verse 13. As Peter is wrapping up his letter, he says, Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Peter's writing to the church that is scattered throughout the Roman Empire. So why would he call the Roman Empire Babylon? First of all, it was the nation of Babylon who conquered and exiled the Jews in 586 BC. So it was Babylon who put an end to the Jews' freedom in that sense, the Jews' nation that belonged to themselves. So by saying Babylon, Peter is referencing exile, that they're living in a place that's not their home, but also Babylon was an evil and oppressive empire, just like the Romans are an evil and oppressive regime. Peter acknowledges that these exiles are living in an empire that is not friendly to faith in Christ. By saying Babylon, people is reminding them that they are living in a place that's not their home, they're exiles. And he is also saying, yes, the Roman Empire is an oppressive regime, like Babylon was. We can also relate to Peter's cultural landscape because the Jews had divided into different camps, or different factions as well. A couple years back there was this terrible YA series of books that came out. They were called the Divergent series. And it's this classic example of an intriguing premise that does not deliver. I recommend that you not waste your time on these books like I did. The books take place in this dystopian future where these teens are sorted into the different factions and each faction is known for some sort of characteristic or quality. And the main character gets sorted into Dauntless, which is supposed to be this brave, courageous, you know, highly physical group like, we fight all the time because we're Dauntless. And they demonstrate their bravery, get this, by jumping from moving trains. Now that doesn't show you how tough they are. I don't know what does. We're so tough, we jump from train cars. That's how we get around. Now you wanna fight? I should have stopped reading as soon as I got to that because that is so dumb. (laughs) Why did I waste so much time? We're so brave, we jump from train cars. Okay, anyway, I bring up Divergent, first of all, to caution you to never read it, but secondly, because there are these different factions. Divergent has factions and camps, we have factions and camps that are emerging under this virus, and Peter has factions and camps of Jews. And one camp of Jews in Peter's day was called the Zealots. The Zealots were opposed to Roman occupation and rule. They were bandits and rebels who violently attacked Rome, and they employed guerrilla tactics, given that they were severely outnumbered by the troops in the Roman military. When I look at the Open It Up camp, I think of the Zealots in the sense that there is this resistance to government. The Zealots resisted the Romans, and the Open It Up camp is resisting the state and federal lockdown orders. The Zealots were also critical of the Sadducees, which was another camp of Jews in Peter's day. The Sadducees were the Jews in spheres of influence. They cozied up to the Romans in order to be given powerful positions, which is why the Zealots were so critical of the Sadducees. The Zealots looked at the Sadducees as sellouts to the Roman Empire. The Sadducees had control over the temple, so they were highly influential people in positions of power. And I think of the Sadducees when I look at the lock-it-down camp, because the lock-it-down camp people are far more ready to cooperate with the authorities, and they are far more willing to go along with the government's orders. Now I tell you about these two factions to simply make the point that Peter dealt with camps too. And again, it's not like the camps in Peter's day align perfectly with the camps that we're seeing emerging during this crisis. I'm painting with a broad brush here, and certainly there are differences. There were camps in Peter's day, and there's camps in our day. The church in Peter's day and the church in our day is comprised of exiles. We are people who do not belong to this world, so our response should not be in the ways of the world. An exile lives in a place that is not his or her home. And right now, we feel like exiles in a place that's not our home. The exiles in Peter's day lived under the oppressive Roman Empire, and this pandemic certainly feels oppressive. And the more they extend the lockdown, the more oppressive the pandemic feels. An exile faces a continuous element of disconnection from the place that he or she lives because it's not their home. An exile feels somewhat disconnected from their present circumstances because they are always longing to go to their true home. They are longing for a reality where things are made right and they are living in their true home. And so in the same way, we as today's exiles need to disconnect from the factions that have emerged under this crisis. We disconnect from the culture's response so that we can seek out God's way. I don't want to be wrapped up in the world's camps. I don't want to get caught up in the wars, the political battles. I don't want to get caught up in the fighting between the camps. I don't want to get caught up in the politics of it all. I don't want to get caught up in the world's ways. I want to disconnect from the world's ways so that I can seek out God's way.